Good morning, church family. Ready to go? All right, I am, so I hope you are. Uh, I feel like I've been doing this a lot lately, but kind of like word association, what comes to mind, how does this word make you feel? Discipline. You know, what's the initial feeling there? Or, or if I was to ask you, what's a synonym for the word discipline? I think uh, too often our only association with the word discipline is punishment, right? From when we were kids and receiving discipline or, or perhaps us parents uh, doling out discipline, perhaps we're, if we're not careful, we only think of it as punishment. Now, there's certainly, you know, are a need for consequences sometimes, aren't there? There's a, and consequences can be effective. Um, but really, when you think about the word discipline, the roots there, the definition there, the intention behind discipline is training. There's a, a teaching component, a training component. Our disciplinary measures are put into action to train up children, to uh, point them in the right way or, or things like that. So, so, so let me ask you, is experiencing correction, can that be good for us? Yeah, e even discipline, right, can be something that's good for us to receive. And I would say, we would go a little further and just say, God's grace abounds to us in so many ways. And I think one of the ways that God's grace comes to us is through the fact that he is a loving father who disciplines. And the Bible in Psalm 94 even says, blessed is the man uh, whom you discipline, O Lord. So do we think of ourselves that way when receiving this discipline, when being corrected, when things are pointed out in our lives do we receive that as a blessing from the Lord? Grab your Bibles and uh, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> We're going to start at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in just a moment. So love you to bring your Bibles with you. Pull them out. Open it up. Keep your finger in the text as we hear from God. So as you get there, as you're turning or opening your Bible app and your device to 1 Corinthians 5, I'll just say this. Um, to make sure that we're all on the same page for this Sunday and coming Sundays. There's a note in your bulletin about this too, particularly for you parents of youngers. Um, soon after we begin reading the text this morning, you'll see uh, why I've given parents a little uh, parental guidance or a parental awareness uh, recommendation about the scriptures for today and, and upcoming weeks. We're going to interact with some topics of sexual immorality, sex and marriage, those kind of things. Uh, I don't want to accidentally make a bigger deal out of it than it is. We're going to continue to teach God's word and assume that our sixth grade and up students are with us, and that's good, and they're welcome, and I think that's best but we just didn't want to sneak up on you parents. So uh, we gave you a little message in your bulletin there. You can see in the bulletin which passages of Scripture are coming up in, in the next weeks. You can read those ahead. You can be familiar uh, so that you can talk through those uh, with your kids as well. So hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully you hear my heart there. We're going to teach God's Word, and we're glad for all ages to be in with us. Um, but now uh, you, you parents know that, uh, what's going on, <laughs> okay? So, so far, so good? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. I'll pause one second just to say a reminder that as we teach through this book of the Bible, this is a letter written by a church leader to the church he started, a leader named Paul, who started this church, a group of Christians in a town called Corinth. So that's why the book is called The Corinthians. This letter is written to the Corinthian Christians. And so here's the letter uh, as it continues. 
it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then... You would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Father, yet again, we find ourselves needing you to be our teacher this morning. We come to you, we look to you, we keep our, our finger in the text of, of the Bible, of your written word to us. Uh, and God, we pray this morning that you would help us to hear what you have for us, that you would hear us, help us to hear how this letter written so long ago still applies to us today, has um, has much value in store for us today as you teach us. So here we are, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So back up to verse 1. Paul writes to this group of Christians. He started the church. They, they, have begun, they have become followers of Jesus. They have received the Spirit. They are being made new, but they're not perfect yet. <laughs> they're, they're blowing it. And, and, and word is getting back to Paul about ways that they're blowing it, about things that they still don't understand. And so the rest of this, or a lot of this letter that he's writing that we're studying right now is him responding to these things he's hearing, things that are happening or their questions to him. And he, they're exchanging this letter and he's answering their questions or addressing these issues that need to be addressed. So verse one, he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And, and in the Greek there, in the original language this was written, they use the word porneia, which is a general term for sexual sin. Porneia, that's where we get the term pornography. Uh, so this is, he's saying there is a sexual sin among you. And then he says, and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For what is that sin? For a man has his father's wife. The language here is, is uh, indicating an ongoing sexual relationship between this man and not his uh, biological mother, but stepmother. 
and, and, and we, could, we could wonder what the circumstances are. We could, we could try to, in some ways, maybe even make an excuse for it. We could go, well, was there a divorce, or is the, or is the, is the father dead, or what's going on here? Um, but it doesn't matter at the, at, the, at the end of the day. And why is Paul addressing this so bluntly? Because at, at, at what's, what matters is that this type of incest was strictly forbidden by the laws of God's people. In Leviticus 18.8, Leviticus 18.8 of God's law says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. So I want to mention for a second, what are, what are the purposes of God's laws? We, we could read through our Bibles, and, and uh, in this case, we're talking about the Old Testament law that was given to his people and included this law that they are not to uncover the nakedness of their, of their father's wife. What's the purpose of God's laws? God's laws were to distinguish his people from the culture around them. They were, to, they were to instruct his people of how their behavior could be pleasing to God and different than the behavior of the culture around them. And yet, ironically, Paul has to go, you know what? This sin that you're tolerating, not even the pagans, not even the non-Christians around you tolerate this. He said, they don't even put up with this particular sin. They condemn this particular sin. And then he goes on to verse 2 but you're arrogant about it. Shouldn't you be mourning this man's sin? Shouldn't this be concerning to you? What's really interesting here, and this is going to happen again as we study God's word in the coming weeks, not only does Paul point out a particular sin here, but he seems as concerned or perhaps even more concerned with the reaction of the church family or or lack of reaction. Paul is concerned, is frustrated that these Corinthian Christians are not dealing with sin in their midst. So he's pointing out the man's sin, but he's also going, you're arrogant about it. What is your reaction all about? Shouldn't you be mourning this sin? What are they arrogant for? We we may not even know exactly. Are they arrogant because they've somehow convinced themselves that there's freedom in in this relationship with God, that that sin is okay, and they're arrogant? Maybe that. Or maybe, maybe Paul is, is getting after the Corinthians for their arrogance because uh, their arrogance is characteristic. If you've been with us in recent weeks and listening to Paul write this letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthians have this puffed up attitude about themselves as better than others and putting others down. Perhaps that's the arrogance he's talking about. But he's fired up. Paul's fired up because he does not see this church, the church of Corinth, addressing the sin that's in the midst of them. They won't monitor, they won't judge the, the, the worst of sinners among them. So verse two continues, and he gives them instructions. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Whoa. Let him who has done this, let this sinner be removed from among you. So this brings us to the part of today's message where we get to entertain the exciting and thrilling, joyful topic of church discipline. Where there comes a time, and this is something we need to grapple with this morning if you're not aware, or we need to think more about if you already are aware. There there is a part of being a part of a church family, when we are part of the body of Christ, when we... uh, when we become part of the family of God and and have a local church family, one of the main things that God wants to use that for is for our spiritual growth and health, right? 
He puts us in a church family so that we can grow and learn to honor God increasingly in our lives. So he has this purpose for us of, of being in the, in the church. And God loves us so much. God is a loving father so much. And he puts us in Christian communities so much to help us grow that that may include correction. Discipline when we're outside of the bounds of, of his desires for us. Um, so, so in our passage, Paul uh, is urging them to remove the sinner from the community, from the community of, of, of believers, from the church family. But, but what happens before that? What should happen before that? Does things, do things for this sinner jump from zero to 60s and from zero to being thrown out of the church? No. The Bible is, is clear in Matthew 18 and elsewhere. If you want to jot down Matthew 18 and read it later, I'll summarize real quickly for you now if you want, but I'd encourage you, write, jot that down, Matthew 18. Take a look later. That's one of many places in scriptures that gives us uh, excellent instruction on how we should handle a known sinner in our midst. And so these would be the things that you would want to happen, that God would want to happen through, through us as a church family before church discipline becomes necessary. Does that make sense? How can we help a follower of Jesus? How can we offer correction? How can we lovingly get them back on track so that church discipline is not necessary? Well, Matthew 18 summarizes this. First step is to go directly to the person, to the sinner, one-on-one. -on -one. We go out of care for them. We go directly to them in private, one-on-one, -on -one, and we let them know what we see in their life and what perhaps God would want them to be more aware of. And then the scripture says if they don't listen, then you take one or two people with you. So that, the, so that the testimony might be established by witnesses. And then God's word says if the person, if the sinner still isn't listening or receptive, you tell it to the church. And I would suggest that what telling it to the church looks like is telling it first to leaders so that leaders have an opportunity to confront the person, help them grow in Christ, point out the sin. And then there becomes times when, when God's desire for holiness leads to the need for the whole church to be involved or be aware of this uh, ongoing sin. And that's the case of this man in 1 Corinthians 5. This man in 1 Corinthians 5, this uh, sin has been ongoing and has continued to the point where down in verse 5, Paul says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Let's look at those kind of separately for a moment. First of all, that, that phrase is pretty tough to hear. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And as we've said, Paul is recommending that the man be removed from the community, removed from the church family. We've come to this step of church discipline that we could call excommunication, where the person is no longer you know, welcome in, in the church family. Uh, you are, and so the words here are, you are to deliver this man to Satan. And, and, I, and I think that that's tough to hear, and it's a little difficult to understand. But if you think about it this way, a, a follower of Jesus removed from the community, removed from the, 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 the blessing and the, the security of a church family, that believer removed from the church, excommunicated, is now more subject, more prone to the deception and, and lies and attacks of the evil one. 
they're, they're outside of the protection and the, and the growth opportunities that a church family offers. And so the, the evil one, the Bible says that Satan is a, is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And excommunication would certainly put them in, in, a, in a place outside of, of, of or, or, or more exposed, I should say, to Satan and his scheming. Who, who is, is, is church discipline um, exercised upon? When, when does it come to this? You know, does it come to this and how and when? Well, a couple of things we should think about um, are unrepentant sin, meaning it's ongoing. They don't see anything wrong with it. They don't turn away from it. They just want to stick with it. Unrepentant, I'm continuing ahead in the sin no matter what someone says to me. That's one aspect that leads to this kind of church discipline. It's an outward sin. I'm not talking about, you know, excommunication would not be the result of someone's inside heart motivations that no other human can see or understand. This sin of his is outward, it's seen and heard, and it, and it has a, a, a sad effect, a sad effect on the whole family. So unrepentant sin and outward sin, significant sin would lead to this kind of church discipline. But don't miss uh, something really important in verse 5. And this is where we, I hope that the, the, the message this morning kind of takes a practical turn to, okay, what does this have to do with me? If I'm not the man in 1 Corinthians 5, if, if I'm not being excommunicated, what can we as a church family grow in to be increasingly healthy? Look at verse 5. Don't miss the goal of church discipline. He says, it's so that his spirit may be saved. Paul wants him uh, excommunicated. Paul wants him disciplined. Paul wants his sin pointed out to this man so this man will be rescued from sin and death and find that he needs God. The, the, the goal of church discipline is not punishment for punishment's sake or I'm making myself better than you because you need to be punished. We think of discipline in that negative sense of it's just punishment for punishment's sake. No, God's idea of discipline is for our spiritual health and growth, that we should be corrected, that we need our sin pointed out to us, and that if we don't turn from our sin, that it will result in church discipline. The goal of church discipline is restoration, that we would be restored to relationship with God and restored to relationship with our fellow Christians. So then, so there's a little bit about church discipline. So how do we benefit from this? If, if we can convince ourselves, if, we, if that doesn't sound, if we, if we can get over the fact that that sounds kind of scary and awkward and we're not sure we want to go there and we, can, and we can consider for ourselves this morning that, that God's correction through the church family would be something that's good for us, well, then how do we benefit from that help? How, how do we experience God's good purposes in our life through discipline? And I would say by being part of the local church. And I don't mean uh, by being a, a fringe part of a church where, where no one really knows your name or face. Uh, you come and you go. You say faith church is your home, but no one else really knows that that's the case. We're not talking about occasional uh, fringe relationship to a local church. We're saying be part, join in, be part of the family, be all in. And I would say, you know, in one, in one way, in one expression of that is through official church membership, through learning what, what the local church teaches, in this case, what faith church teaches, about the importance of becoming an official member and having a two-way commitment 
church family to you for your good and you submitting and committed to that church family, believing that that's where God has you um, for a church family. Now, we get a little, uh, if we're honest, some might get a little rub here. And I've had these conversations over the years. Some go, ah, membership. Hmm. Pastor Derek, where do you see that? Well, if I'm honest, you're not going to flip through your Bible and find a verse that, that says, go to your local church and find out the official rules for membership and sign up and become an official member. You're not going to find that. And you're not going to find even the word, perhaps even the word membership. But as you study your Bible, what I believe you will find is so much from God about the importance of followers of Jesus living in community with other Christians. Yes? And as you study your Bible, you're going to find so much about the importance of having a place to exercise the one another's. As you read your Bible, you're going to find things like love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens. And I'm going to ask you, where are you going to exercise the one another's unless you're submitted to and committed to and part of a church family, right? That's where we exercise the one another's. The Bible teaches that we need to submit to our leaders in our church family. How, how do we submit to leaders who don't even know who we are? How do leaders shepherd us? How are leaders responsible for our spiritual care if they don't know who we are? If we haven't partnered with that local church in agreement with how God is working in and through that church and said, I'm in. This is my church family. I want to be part. How are we spurred towards spiritual growth? How are we around other Christians that are going to help us grow in Christ unless we're committed to the local church? So, if you're around me for any length of time or like right now or if you have this kind of conversation with me, you're going to find that I'm very passionate about helping followers of Jesus have a higher view of the local church, have a, have a, have a higher view, a more impressed understanding about how God wants to use the local church in our lives. I, I want to help people see that, that God has significant plans for us as we submit to being part of a church family. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. There is no such thing as a follower of Christ who rejects the bride of Christ, the church. And just because we live in a small town, small town with many, many, many churches... Just because that is our experience doesn't mean that we interact with churches like we're eating from a buffet. Little of this, I like the music over there, I like the teaching over here, I like this Bible study, this place has a better service for this age group. So church is not, local churches are not a smorgasbord for us to partake of in what, help, in what, we, in what pleases us most. The local church is a two-way commitment where we seek God and we say, God, where do you want me to plug into? Where is my church family? Where do I see you working? Where do I believe in what God is doing in that church? And then I'm going to say, I'm all in. This is my church family. This is where I want to be. And it's a two-way commitment. I'm committing to the church and saying, I, this is where I want to be. And the church commits to me. And, and being part of my spiritual growth. That's what membership's all about. Um, so so in, the, in the message this morning so far, we've talked about the excitement of church discipline. 
And I've mentioned that one way that you could uh, avail yourself to enjoying the privilege of church discipline and being corrected and having your sin pointed out to you is through membership in the local church. And with that as the background, I want to invite you to our next members lunch that's next Sunday after church. (laughs) And some of you are scrambling to un-RSVP that you've already said you were coming but now don't want to come because Pastor Derek just scared the daylights out of you about what church discipline is all about. And I want to say, no, don't let that happen. Don't un-RSVP. If you're a follower of Jesus, and this is your church family, and you're not yet an official member, we would love to have you there and tell you more about it. It's not a sign on the dotted line at the end. There's no pressure, full court press at the end. It's come, learn who, what faith church is all about, what makes us tick, why we do the things the way we do, what are some of the things we believe in, learn the history of this great church and how God has used it for 50, 60 years in our community, and, and, and then find out if that's where God would have you um, be, be an official member. Again, for that two-way partnership, that two-way blessing. It's not just something that the church wants you to do. It's, it's something that we want to care for you in and for you to experience God's blessing as you um, plug into a church family. So, um, hope you'll consider that uh, next Sunday about noon. We provide food, childcare. Could use you. Would really appreciate if you RSVP so we could plan accordingly. And I think the rest of the few minutes that we take here together in God's Word is going to make a case for membership. I think that you're going to see how you might benefit from being a part of a church family. Verse six. Paul continues. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So he, he goes into this metaphor of leaven, and, and, and he says, your boasting is not good. I, there is still sin present in you. Uh, you, have, you are followers of Jesus. You, the your spirit is working, and yet your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, when there's publicly known sin... And it's not addressed. If there's a public sin that is causing a problem and we're not going to address it or if it's not corrected, then like leaven, it silently spreads its destructive consequences through the whole church family. Instead of being one sin problem over here that needs to be addressed in an appropriate, timely fashion, when when it's allowed to go unchecked, it spreads and has its destructive patterns and, and, and goes to a much bigger problem. So verse 7 says, cleanse out the old leaven. Address, address the sin issue. And then I love what it goes on to say. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Because Jesus has made a way. Because God has purpose to rescue you. Because God forgives you. Because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed, this is why we don't let sin linger. Jesus, the lamb of God, has been sacrificed. He lived the life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserve. He rose again, conquering sin and conquering death and making it possible for you and I, sinful, messed up, rebellious, going against God, you and I, to be made right with the holy and perfect God, to be put back in relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. Sinners like you and me made right with the, with the holy and perfect God. The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners through Jesus. That's the gospel. And because of the cross, 
we can be forgiven. We can be rescued. We can be made right with God. So I think there's an aspect here in our passage that Paul is saying, live it out. Christ has died. Christ has rescued you. Christ has forgiven you. So live it out and don't let sin linger and, and, and destroy a church family. Because not only have we been rescued from sin and death and brought into God's family, but God begins working in us. As if you have entrusted your life to Christ, if you have become a follower of Jesus, if you've realized you can't do it on your own and you've become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is living within you, transforming you, giving you a new heart, new mind, new desires, making you new from the inside out. And so Paul's saying, live it. Your boasting is not good. Now, help me out again. Followers of Jesus, have you been forgiven? Yes, at the cross, Jesus forgives. You've been made right with God. But are you perfect yet? Paul says your boasting is not good, is his example here. There's, there's something in our Christian life that's, that, that is beyond that initial time of becoming a Christian. We become a Christian, we put our trust in Christ, we, we become followers of Christ, and we are rescued. Our salvation is assured. We receive God's gift of salvation, and that has happened. That's our justification. But our following Jesus calls for an ongoing repentance. This term, repent. That we still sin, that we still fall short of God's glory, that we still go against him. And, and so Paul's pointing these sins out to the Corinthians. God perhaps is pointing out to us on occasion where we fall short and we have an opportunity to repent. And a simple way to talk about repentance would be to turn away from evil, to turn away from our old selves, to turn away from sin and turn to God. So with his help keep giving the Heisman to sin, to pushing it behind us, to shoving it away and turn our focus to Jesus, desiring him to continue transforming us from the inside out. And the Bible says in Romans 2, 4, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Has God been, church family, has God been kind to you through Jesus? Has God been kind to you through his patience? Has God been kind to you through forgiveness? Is God, are we trying to figure out this morning if God could even be kind to us through discipline? Yeah, through correction. But the question is, do those grace gifts, if God is expressing his great love for you in those grace, gracious ways, those grace gifts of forgiveness and patience and, and Jesus and the cross and his correction, his loving correction, if God is loving us through those grace gifts, do those things lead us to repentance? Do those uh, lead us to going, Father, forgive me. Here's where I've messed up. Here's where I'm hurting someone. Here's where I've gone against you. I want to turn away from that and turn to you. But sometimes we go, nah, I don't, I don't need to be forgiven. I mean, I've already been forgiven. I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I've already been forgiven. We, we sometimes say, well, I'm already a Christian. I've already received forgiveness. So, so why do I need to repent? The two can go together. You can be justified, saved, already a Christian, forgiven and made right with God, and still very much have an ongoing need to turn and repent of your sin. And so we receive God's grace as we turn and repent and look to him for forgiveness. Uh, one of the people I studied this week wrote this. We ask God to forgive us, not so that we can be re-justified, not so that we have to be saved again or something, 
but to walk before him in confidence that Christ has paid it all. Justification occurs once for all time, yet confessing sin and receiving forgiveness is ongoing until we look Jesus in the eyes and are fully transformed. So, church family, wouldn't it be great if we were growing in Jesus in such a way that, that we would, that, that our friends, that our fo- fellow followers of Jesus would point out our sin, that we would repent, and that church discipline wouldn't even be necessary. Wouldn't that be great? If we were healthy in our relationship with God, open to his correction, having our sin pointed out, confessing it, repenting of it, receiving forgiveness and moving forward so that church discipline wasn't necessary in the first place. Um, Before we finish, there's just an interesting section here that deals with the next few verses talk about who we as Christians should associate with and how we should react with these different kinds of people. Look at verse 9 with me. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And at first we go, yeah, makes sense, those sinners. But then listen to what Paul says. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Because if I was talking about the sexually immoral people around you, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters, then you would need to get out of the world somehow. Right? Because sinners are everywhere. He's saying, so I'm not saying that you should not associate with, with those in the world who are, who are sinning in these ways. But we have this tendency as, as Christians to separate ourselves. And we're not, if we're not careful, um, our, our, our following our Christian beliefs, wanting to stay away from sin, could cause us to separate uh, in an un, unhealthy way. Another commentator I studied this week wrote this. If we are not careful, Christian activities can lead to separatism. We can comfortably spend our whole lives in Christian schools, church meetings, Christian sports leagues, Christian friendships, and in this club and that club and this Bible study and that group of friends, all to the point that we have very little to no interaction with people that are far from Christ. And therefore, no opportunities to, for God to love them and care for them and bring them to Jesus through us. And Jesus himself, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus says, Jesus prays to the Father, Father, as you have sent me into the world, I send my followers. So so God, and and Jesus goes a step further. In that same prayer, Jesus says, in fact, don't take them out of the world. Jesus prays, I don't want you to take my followers out of the world. I'm not asking for them to have it easy. I'm not asking for them to be uh, not in the company of, of sinners. Just protect them. Be with them. But, but, the, but that passage of Scripture tells us is that as Christians, we are in the world, not of the world. We're, but we are to be in it. That God has a purpose for us in relating to and interacting with people that are far from Christ. Paul goes on to say, here's who I am writing to you about. Here's who I do think you should perhaps consider not associating with. And it's, ex- and it's a surprise. Verse 11 is not what we perhaps expect. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Who's that? Christians, fellow Christians, brother in Christ, sister in Christ. He's saying, don't associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, fellow Christian, if they are guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler. And I would say this is that like we talked about with church discipline. 
ongoing, unrepentant, significant outward sin, don't associate with a Christian who's stuck in that kind of ongoing sin. Why would he say that? Because we want to point that person to, to, to restoration. Because we want to point that person to Jesus. It's painful to be out of the community of believers. If we won't even eat with the person who's sinning, that's painful. And that's hard for that person to be kind of cast out. And what we pray that God would use that for is to point out to them the depth of their sin and their need for God and their need for community and that that action would bring them back to Jesus. It's not punishment for punishment's sake. It's not being mean to the sinner. It's loving them so much that we would point out their sin, they could repent of it and find healing back in Christian community and with with the Father in heaven. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. We tend to want to judge outsiders, those that are far from Christ, those that don't know Christ. We, if we're not careful, we impose Christian standards on people that are not Christian. But Paul here says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom I'm to judge? God judges those outside. But there's a purpose, there's an opportunity we have as a church family to judge fellow Christians. And we don't like that term because it has negative connotations. We don't want to be judged. We're not sure we want to do the judging. But what is going on there? Well, how else do Christians know they need to repent? What if one way that God calls them to repentance, what if one way God calls them to increase spiritual health and growth is by working through you to lovingly point out their sin? Notice I said lovingly. We talked about this last Sunday. What we need in our life is an authority. We don't like the idea of authority, but we need authority. And the authority that we can accept is like this. Someone who can tell us the truth about our life, but we can accept it because we know they love us. The ultimate person that we have like that is Jesus. He tells us the truth about our life, and we can receive it because we know he loves us and wants the best for us. And I think God wants to work like that through fellow followers of Jesus as well, through other humans as well, through people in our life that will tell us the truth about our life, even when it hurts and even when it points out our sin. But they'll do so in such a way that demonstrates their love so we can receive it. Being judged, being evaluated, having my sin pointed out to me, being told the truth in love, being held accountable is an important part of our journey as a Christian and something God wants us to, to use in our life to mold us and shape us more into the image of his son. But here's, here's what I'll leave you with. The how we judge our brother or sister in Christ, the way we go about it, is critically important. Look at this verse in Matthew. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, where do we approach, if, we're gonna, if God's going to use us to lovingly correct, to point out sin so that someone can repent and grow in Christ, we need to approach in a posture of humility. we got to address the plank in our own eye first, the sin in our own life. And, that, and, and the recognition that I've got a plank in my own eye ought to make me humble and aware 
that I too am a sinner and need God. And so aware of the plank in my own eye, I'm going to come to you, brother or sister in Christ, in gentleness and in care and, and in, 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 in kind words, but lovingly point out what I see, where, uh, where there is sin in your life. Not Our heart and our motivation is critical with how we approach each other. Not with wanting to puff ourselves up and seem better than you because you're such a sinner. Not, not nitpicking. Not just uh, criticizing for criticism's sake, but out of love, care, desire to see you grow in Christ and be all that he has for you. Let's be a church family that helps each other grow in Jesus like that. Father God, we thank you that you are a good and loving heavenly father, that, that even though you are all-powerful and all-present and king of kings and lord of lords and and God, even though you are bigger and, and more powerful and mightier than we can imagine, we thank you that you are a God who is a good and loving heavenly father. So God, thank you that you want to help us grow so that we can glorify you. Thank you that you love us so much you sent Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that gives us life. God, we thank you for your love to us even through loving correction, even through uh, having our sin pointed out to us or needing to be disciplined. God, may we receive that as love for, from you. And God, I pray as we think about this topic from Scripture this morning that we would be reminded or, or perhaps even convicted this morning of our relationship with the local church. God, would we, would we know that your best intentions for us, that your best purposes for us include a commitment, a close relationship with the local church? Would you help us to know how much we would benefit from that two-way commitment of, of committing ourselves to a church family and having a church family commit to caring for us? And God, would you remind us this morning that we all have a role to play in, in your work in our lives through discipline? Would you help us to be a church family that is seeking purity and peace in the church family, not by nitpicking others or looking for people's faults or desiring to be mean? But God, would you help us to be a church family that is seeking purity and peace by looking for ways that we can support each other, that look for ways to encourage fellow believers? God, help us to be a church family that spurs one another along to a closer walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And in the next few minutes, would our prayers and our offerings and our songs be given to you out of thankfulness for all you've done? God, would you, would you help us now to express our thanks to you for all you have done through Christ? Would our whole lives honor you in all that we do, would we submit ourselves now to your plans for us, to how you are calling us forward to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.